0: know much about Kingston either, well then don't worry, just listen to this hour. We've got Life of Kingston on CFRC 101.9. I am Michael Ashton Smith, and what we're going to do for the next hour or so is take you guys through a trip of what's going to be happening in the arts and culture scene around Kingston this summer, taking a look at some stuff that's already happened, some stuff that's currently happening, and then some stuff that'll happen in in the future. And for those of you who are just tuning in and want to know a little bit more about CFRC, you can check out our website at cfrc.ca. We've got plenty of blog posts. We also archive all our shows. So if you feel like you might want to check one of these events out, but you forget what it's called or what it is, you can always go to cfrc.ca slash program underscore archives. And what you can find there is just you have to put in the date and time of the show, and then you can stream an mp3 or you can download it. You can do whatever you want with it. That's a great resource for anyone who wants to check that out. And now getting into what we have today, we have first up a interview with an artist playing at the Wolf Island Music Festival. And for those of you who don't know or haven't heard of the Wolf Island Music Festival, somehow if you haven't seen those posters plastered around town or if you haven't been downtown or heard much about anything, well, the Wolf Island Music Festival is a pretty big deal. It brings in plenty of local artists and gives them the chance to share a stage with awesome artists from all around Canada, some pretty big titles too. We've got Born Ruffians coming in this year, and I think we've had Said the Whale. We've had quite a few artists in past years. It's amazing to have that kind of festival come through Kingston. And we have an interview right now with Charlotte Cornfield who has been putting out work for the better past for the better part of the past decade and she's going to be playing there to support her new album The Shape of Your Name which is great. And without further ado here is the interview I got last week with Charlotte talking about her album, her career and you name it. Check it out. So Charlotte Cornfield is a singer-songwriter hailing from Toronto. She is set to join the ever-growing list of major artists named Charlotte who have played at the Wolf Island Music Festival, joining the ranks of Charlotte Day Wilson. She's certainly in good company. And Charlotte has been releasing music for over a decade from her 2008 debut EP, It's Like That Here, to her most recent album that she released in April of this year, The Shape of Your Name. Now we have Charlotte in to talk with us about her career, her album, and the Wolf Island Music Festival. Welcome, Charlotte. It is great to have you.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So before we get into the shape of your name, let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So you've been releasing material since you were quite young. You were, what, in your late teens when you released your first EP?
1: Yes, I was. Yeah, I was 18 or 19, I think.
0: And so what was it that encouraged you to release your own music so early? Because a lot of the time we see people don't start releasing music until later in their life when they decide to pursue a musical career.
1: Yeah, for me, music was kind of, was always there. I got into it from a really young age. My dad's a musician and was a CBC producer for many years. My mom's a writer. So they really encouraged me to explore The creative side of things and songwriting. So I, I started writing songs right as I was figuring out how to play guitar around the age of 12 or 13. And then I moved to Montreal when I was 17 to go study jazz drums at Concordia University. And that's when I kind of realized that I wanted to start releasing my own music. So I had a lot of encouragement from the people around me, so it wasn't this random thing that I got into. It was kind of always gonna happen that I was gonna get more serious about music so that's kind of when it started and then have been doing it ever since
0: and so as you first started to write songs what were those songs about uh and I guess how did they develop over the years until uh The Shape of You
1: uh The Shape of Your Name yeah um so yeah I my first songs I remember I was really at the age of 14, 15, um, kind of politically minded or thought myself to be. So there was definitely some political content, um, anti-Iraq war stuff and things about the environment that was in my earlier songs, which it's funny to call them earlier songs now because like it's teenage experiments is more what they were. Um, but I was listening to a lot of punk rock and classic rock from the sort of 60s, 70s era. Um, so, so that's what I was inspired by. But around the age of 16, I kind of wrote my first love song. And then from there, I realized, like, discovered this whole mine of emotions to be explored in song. And that's kind of where the more autobiographical songwriting vibe came from originally and so yeah so definitely for the last uh i would say it's wild to say it, but like 14 years the kind of emotional lyrical songwriting has been ov- evolving so that's been mostly what i've been working on i guess
0: and what was the process of actually releasing that album like was it an independent release
1: yeah, my first EP was an independent release. Um, yeah, and I put it out when I was living in Montreal. So I just, yeah, did the whole, like, so many people do it these days. Um, Financed my my own sessions and had a friend do artwork and had them, like, professionally manufactured and then did mail-outs. Back then, people were still mailing things. Back then, like, 2008. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so I kind of circulated it myself and did that for my next two releases as well. And then my previous release to this one, Future Snowbird, was put out by an Edmonton label called Continent Records, and then this one um, came out on Nextdoor Records Outside Music, um, yeah.
0: And so you've put together quite the string of records since then. So do you want to touch on the evolution of your work over the past 11 years? From. yeah
1: for sure. Um, so I think that it takes a long time to a grow up. I was basically growing up in songs, figuring experimenting, figuring things out, writing my feelings, experimenting with riffs and arrangements and various styles of recording. And when I listen to the earlier stuff that I did, I hear these little bits where I'm like, "Oh, that was cool, that was cool. But I think it's a big learning experience and there needs to be a ton of trial and error um, before you really land on something. So I think confidence is a big one. Confidence vocally, confidence lyrically, confidence in delivery and production and all those things. And spending years on the road really kind of trying things out live and discovering new music and having my ass kicked by peers and musicians who I love. Um, And it's that thing of like, however many hours you put into it at this point, I've been doing this thing since I was a teenager and now I'm 30. So I feel just much more confident about what I want to say and what I'm trying to do. And there's less um, second guessing and questioning, I think in the songwriting now.
0: And you were talking about pretty much growing up through your songwriting, and it feels like on the new record there's a dry, self-reflective maturity that is really prevalent on that album that wasn't quite at the same level on previous work. Um, So what spurred that particular shift in tone from your previous album to this one?
1: Yeah, well, it definitely came from a reflective place. This was the first time that I made a record without it being like, I need to put a record out because I need to further my career and I need to do XYZ. I had actually taken a bit of a break from touring and recording and went to live in New York for a while. And some things happened in my life where I wasn't really sure what role music was going to play, if it was going to be the main thing or if I was going to be doing something else and and music would take a bit of a backseat so when i moved back to toronto five years ago um i started working running a music venue that my friends had opened called burdock in the west end of toronto and that gave me a kind of pretty stable lifestyle solid paycheck kind of um opportunity to be present in the music community and not have to worry Um, kind of had the luxury to not have to have that constant stress of being a freelancer for a little while. And so I think that created this place where I could write songs um, without there being any underlying goal whatsoever Then me. They're kind of a meditative, therapeutic process for me. And so I think as a result, a lot of them took this more self-reflective, Tone and I kind of slowed down and looked back at a lot of my life from a more experienced angle and kind of um, yeah it's it's nice to be able to to reflect on things in not not so much of a nostalgic way but it's just like oh this feeling that thing happened that moment I still think about that moment sometimes and things like that.
0: And you talked about a lot of these songs being autobiographical. So are pretty much all the lyrical themes of these songs inspired from experience that you've gained over the past couple of years or so?
1: Yeah. Everything comes from my own experience and it's definitely not all sort of like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. There's a lot of kind of subtleties and moments that are interwoven with one another. And the songs aren't about like specific people. Um, It's, Yeah, but I definitely have drawn from my own experiences um, and experiences with other people, and that's kind of where, where this comes from.
0: And so your album is called The Shape of Your Name, and that's a lyric in the opening track. So what was the thought behind using that lyric as the title of the album?
1: There was just something that resonated with me about that lyric, in um, the way that I, especially from that reflective place of thinking back on experiences and emotions and people, um, this idea of seeing someone's name and the shape of that name evoking a certain emotion. And these days we're all on our phones all the time and getting texts and letting messages fly back and forth. And I feel like for me there's certain names that come up on my phone or on my page or whatever where I'm like, whoa seeing that name makes me think about all these things. Um, And that was something that I found really interesting and really felt appropriate for where this album was coming from.
0: And then the album cover as well, it's visually darker than some of your previous covers. What was the choice behind that blue background?
1: Well, it was interesting. My brother who I've worked with a lot on the visual elements to my stuff He, I knew that I wanted him to take the cover photo, and so we sort of were walking around in my neighborhood in Toronto, and he wanted a certain time of day, dusky as the sun was setting, but we didn't know exactly what we wanted the backdrop to be or anything, so we were just wandering, and we walked into an alleyway just as the sun was coming down enough um, for this wall, the cement wall behind me to be hit with this wash of blue and my brother just said stand right there um stay there for a minute and he took a few shots and yeah it is the the color of the sky and how it looks on the wall and everything just sort of came together it was quite spontaneous but but that's where that came from and and we knew because i had had the album done for a little bit i knew sonically where it was at, and that photo just felt like it matched.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned you got help from your brother, but you also received quite a bit of contribution on this album from some pretty large artists, including the great Kevin Drew of Broken Social Scene and Leif Volbeck. Uh, So how did you recruit their help for this album?
1: Everything, it's interesting when I think about making this record, everything happened very naturally. And there wasn't a t- ton of, oh, I got to call this person. Um, the genesis of the record, um, the first few songs happened when I did a residency at the Banff Center a few years ago. And while I did that residency, I connected with Kevin Drew and Brendan Canning and Charles Spearin, also of Broken Social Scene. And they were helping, they were sort of running this independent music residency that I was at. And it was a studio intensive thing where we had every day we were in the studio for a certain amount of time recording stuff. And I was there on my own and they spent a lot of time in the studio with me, um, contributing ideas and thoughts and mostly to the arrangements and instrumentation. And these friendships developed there that have continued in my life. This is, I guess, now four years ago. And Kevin and Brendan have become, yeah, and Charles have just become very good friends and huge like musical inspirations and mentors to me. So they are on the record at various points and have helped out a lot along the way. And um, Leif is a dear old friend from Montreal, and I played him the song Silver Civic, and he it it spoke to him in some way and so I asked him to come play piano on it and it he lives in Montreal and we were recording in Montreal so it just happened very naturally he came in did I think it was one or two takes maximum and it sounded beautiful um so those are some of the collaborators but yeah there's a there's a long list for sure
0: And did you feel yourself getting closer to the music community in either Toronto or Montreal through the process of recording this album and even over the past couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think that um, definitely through the time of recording this album, I've felt closer and closer to the Toronto music community. And part of that has to do with working at that venue, Burdock, and booking artists there. And part of it has to do with connecting with social scene and other acts and just feeling, um, you know, these are the people I was listening to when I was growing up here, and there's this sort of full circle element to it to have their support and to have them on board now. So, yeah, absolutely all these things and the process of making the record over the last few years have um, have really helped cement the sort of Toronto identity whatever.
0: And this is your largest release yet both commercially and critically. You've been covered by some large music publications, notably Pitchfork. Mm-hmm. And one question I have is because Pitchfork has a large degree of influence over a lot of their readers' opinions, especially because of the grade that they give every album out of 100, and that number yeah. can often decide whether a considerable amount of listeners will listen to the album or not. Do you ever feel that it's a risk to submit a piece to of work to such an influential publication.
1: Well, I um, in this case I didn't submit. Somebody um, independent of me and the people that I work with decided to review the record, so it wasn't. I was a. I wasn't submitting while running a risk of it getting a bad review because in reality, something like Pitchfork, they only review a select few albums that come out they they seem to be pretty choosy so even to have gotten a review at all was pretty cool and they don't tend to savage artists who aren't that established yet or who are in a developing stage of their careers because there isn't really a reason to anyway all this is to say that I've uh, I i do not think it's risky I think that if you are proud of your work and you stand behind it and you know where you're coming from artistically and you think it's strong, then absolutely send it around to those people who are the tastemakers and see what happens.
0: For sure. And you received some well-deserved positive criticism on that review, and they compared your work to some other massive singer-songwriters like Nico Case. Uh, And I was just thinking, or what are your thoughts on that comparison there?
1: Well, I love Nico Case. And the Fox compressor brings a flood was a big album for me as was the twin cinema record, new pornographers that she was on. And, um, yeah, I absolutely, uh, find her, her work, super inspiring with comparisons. It's always funny cause it's really up to the person who's comparing. They're like, Oh, I think these two artists are similar based on X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, you think that cool. Um, But yeah, it's definitely nice to be compared to someone who who I really like.
0: And then in terms of the commercial success of the album, I'm mostly gauging it based off Spotify streams and media coverage, but I would assume this is your largest release as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: And so you've seen uh, an increase with both of those with the release of this album and the tour that you're doing to support it, you're coming through Kingston to play at the Wolf Island Music Festival on Saturday, August 10th, but mm-hmm. how busy have you been elsewhere
1: touring to support this album? Well, yeah, the, the spring and early summer um, were quite busy. I was on tour with Tim Baker from Hey Rosetta, so I opened most of his Canadian dates and some shows in the U.S., and that was a blast. Uh, and I also did some Ontario shows, including Kingston with Lydia Prasad. And, um, I have a show this week with Broken Social Scene, and I also joined them on Canada Day at Harborfront. So, yeah, it's been, it's been super busy, but really great. And my July's a little quieter, but I'm super excited to, um, come out to Wolf Island uh, in August.
0: And have you been to Kingston before?
1: Yeah, many, many times. There are many Kingston through lines in my life, I think. But I've been going to Kingston for about 10 years, pretty regularly. And I went to the Wolf Island Festival just as an attendee in 2008.
0: And so how do you feel that Kingston compares to playing in some larger cities like Toronto or Montreal?
1: Well, something that strikes me about Kingston is that there's a very strong sense of community and there's a really strong arts community. And even though it's a smaller, obviously much smaller place than Toronto or Montreal, there is a ton of support for artists coming through. And um, people like Virginia Clark, who is putting on the Wolf Island Festival, help keep Kingston on the map as a um, as a great music city. And because there is the university culture too, there is a demand for live performances. So I think it's a, I think it's a great place to play.
0: And we are approaching our time limit. So I'm going to have to wrap things up pretty quickly. I've got one last question for you. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be putting on a song from your latest album right after this, and I'm going to let you choose. So which song should it be and why?
1: Um, I'm going to go with the last song on the album, which is called Release, and that song is kind of sticking with me right now. I guess each song has its time with me as being the more prominent one, but it's sort of a quiet, also reflective, um, chill jam, and I like it.
0: Awesome. So that is about all the time that we do have for today here. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And so we are about to play the last song off of your album, uh, The Shape of Your Name, which is available on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, you name it. Uh, If you like the sound, and I can't see any reason why you shouldn't, you can check out her set at the Wolf Island Music Festival on Saturday, August 10th. You can find more information on this festival at www.wolfislandmusicfestival.com and if you want your tickets right away, they're available on Eventbrite at www.eventbrite.ca and once again, a big thank you for Charlotte for her time today. Thank you. And coming right up, we are going to have an interview with Lauren Allen and Nathan Copens, both of whom are actors at the Storefront Fringe Festival happening downtown last week and this weekend. You'll still be able to catch some of their shows. But before we get to that interview, here is Charlotte Cornfield with Release.
2: So late, it's never. But I have to say I'm better These few years have done me fine Calmly coloring my mind You called me up to say That you found release in your own way It was the night before your wedding day I was in Montreal And I appreciated that you called But when I go back to New York You're still everywhere Standing on Lincoln in the rain Running your fingers through my hair. I wasn't even there But when I go back to New York You're still everywhere
0: Last week, we had Liam Carey, the creative director of the Kick and Push Festival, on our show to discuss the very same festival, and that highlights some of the amazing creative talent coming from or to the Kingston theatre community, and a part of this festival is the Storefront Fringe Festival, which features a series of exciting shows that are put on in various locations downtown, and here to speak with us today are Lauren Allen and Nathan Coppins. They are the stars of... In Did I pronounce that correctly, or...? Copens. Copens, I should have told you. <laughs> no worries. So Nathan Copens, they are the stars of In Ireland. We rented a car from Criminals, which is surely a title that piques interest, and they're here to talk a little bit about their show and what everyone can expect. So welcome, Lauren and Nathan.
3: Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks.
0: So before we get into the production itself, let's talk a little bit about how you guys got to where you are today. Uh, so Nathan, you studied at the University of Regina. Yes, I did, and so I'm assuming in theater, yeah, and
4: in theater acting, yeah, and so what brought you to that point? what got you into acting? Oh, probably lots of things i uh i I guess I did um like drama camps as a kid, or yeah yeah, young preteen got interested in that, and was always just very imaginative and like daydreamer, so I'd be like making up characters in the mirror and, you know, trying to mimic the, like, the movies I liked and that kind of stuff. So just kind of blossomed from there.
0: And then what was your experience in university there learning in a more, I guess, structured sense what theater was? Or you probably would have
4: been experienced with that through your camps and such and probably in high school. Yeah, I did a few plays in high school, but that was usually smaller stuff. University, it took off. Um, I liked it, <laughs> yeah. And something that connected you with the Regina theater community, and
0: you got involved with the Globe Theater, also there.
4: Yeah, I in yeah, that's right. I went to the Globe Theater um, actor conservatory training program um, a few years after university as well. In the I spent the intervening few years in Edmonton and did some shows around Alberta and into BC a little bit. Um, but yeah, did, did some work at Globe. And so what can you say about that program, that theater? I thought it was great. I loved the program. Yeah, I learned we had a really good group of people. It was people like it's, there was a focus on Saskatchewan artists, right? So trying to develop, here we are in Ontario, but trying to develop Saskatchewan talent. Um, So people from Regina, Saskatoon, a couple of, uh, I think a couple of smaller centers as well. It was a good way to, and then coaches from across the country and, uh, even international a couple of them so you know meeting people learning from different people um and the theater space is is beautiful so to work in that space was was wonderful and Lauren, you're
0: also from Saskatchewan. Yes, I am. So, you grew up in Saskatoon, I, I did, yeah. And then you went to university in Edmonton, also studying theatre. Yeah. And so, a similar question, what was that spark that got you into theatre?
3: Well, both of my parents are theatre people. So, I grew up, uh, literally grew up in theatres. Um, I learned how to walk upstairs at 25th Street Theatre in Saskatoon. Um, and I knew I wanted to be an actor from a very young age, but my parents wanted to encourage me to explore other options, just in case. Um, I think they're still kind of holding out hope that I'll become a veterinarian at some point, um, but they're both very supportive, and getting to see the magic of storytelling from such a young age uh, it just became a space that I never wanted to leave, so...
0: And so you went to Edmonton, and then you returned to Saskatoon afterwards, and you've been incredibly busy ever since.
3: <laughs> you've done your research. Um, he has. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I went to school in Edmonton because I wanted to study specifically musical theater, and in Saskatchewan there is no program for that. Um, I also don't like school, so I knew that for me I wanted to take uh, a short program that would give me the information that I needed, but then I could like leave quickly and start working because I knew from my experiences with my parents and their peers that working is the best uh, teacher. So I went back to Saskatoon because I had opportunities to work in both English and French there. Um, and I felt that the Edmonton market at the time was oversaturated with people like me. And I felt like I had more of a, a place and a voice going back to Saskatoon.
0: And so a lot of times we don't really hear of bilingual artists coming from Saskatoon. So was that something, an environment that you would have grown up with? Uh,
3: yeah, my parents made the brilliant decision to put me into immersion school. Um, so that set me on a great path. Uh, and my brother as well, my brother now lives in Montreal. Um, I don't think he speaks as much as I do, but we do both speak French. And, um, I started doing theater in French when I was 15 through a community program, through the professional French theater company in Saskatoon. And then, uh, and then it became a much larger part of my life when I moved to Paris in 2017.
0: And I was gonna to talk to you about moving to Paris, cause that seems like a giant leap moving from Saskatoon to Edmonton, and staying relatively local, at least within Canada, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you find yourself in Paris, France. What was that like, just that move?
3: Uh, it was, I mean, moving is one of the top three most stressful things that a person can experience. So <laughs> yeah. it was very stressful. But it was also very rewarding, and I learned so much about myself and um, my art and the kind of art that I wanted to do and what interested me. Uh, I really learned how to live differently because I had to move from a two-bedroom basement suite in Saskatoon that had, like, a full kitchen, full bathroom, everything, uh, to a 12-meter square apartment in Paris, which is... 12-meter square doesn't translate very well uh, in Canadian measurements, but basically, like, pick one room of your house and live there. Your entire kitchen is in there, your toilet is in there, everything. So I had to readjust a lot of things about my way of living just to live in this new city, and it taught me a lot of things.
0: (laughs) And so let's move a little bit more towards the show Mm -hmm. that you guys are doing, the Storefront Fringe Festival. Uh, In Ireland, we rented a car from criminals, and my apologies if I don't understand the recruitment process for some shows like this, but mm-hmm. how did you guys link up? The only connection I see is that you guys are both from Saskatchewan. Is that.
3: Well, uh, we can both speak to this, but I'll yeah. start. Um, so Nathan and I have worked together before. Uh, Nathan has also worked with this playwright uh, and director before. Um, I know all of the people involved. And the way that I got the job was I posted on Facebook saying, I really need work. I'm moving back from Paris and I have no money. Please help me. And the playwright saw that and being the kind and generous person that he is, went, okay, do you want a job? So that's how I got involved.
4: Yeah, I got involved. I mean... I, again knew everybody else involved in the production the director andrew Johnston runs um the saskatchewan playwright Center so i'd done work with him and um you know and uh, and just have a have a good friendship with him and the playwright slash producer rod mcpherson um i've worked on one of his plays before and i think i actually got to meet uh rod through a uh a jam session like a music night that Andrew had hosted you know he hosts just for fun you know people bring instruments and play music in his house once a month or so and uh and Rod showed up that's how I initially met Rod and it was a bunch of other writers and artsy people and whatever making music and that led to the first show that I did with him and then you know and then this one Mm. and so a lot of people myself included might be unfamiliar with how A story or a
0: play actually gets developed so does it start with the playwright does he have a concept an idea and then he brings it to a director or
3: the beauty of theater is that there's not really a rule that applies to everybody so in this case rod was inspired from his own life and the life uh, of one of his good friends their experiences going to ireland and renting a car um so he wrote the play and approached the director after the fact. Initially, he was just going to direct it himself, but in talking yeah. with the director, they decided a collaboration would be best. Um, so it ca- it came about that way. And because uh, Andrew works with the Saskatchewan Playwright Center, he was also helping Rod to develop and expand the play,
4: go through multiple drafts, or you know, editing and the whole like workshop and feedback process.
3: Mm-hmm. Initially, the play was a one-man show. So through the work, it expanded to include me, which is nice.
4: Yeah, (laughs) I don't have to be on the road by myself. (laughs) And so you guys are the only two actors in the show. Yes. We're the two. Yeah, we play multiple characters, multiple Mm -hmm. roles.
0: And then the question that was bound to come up this interview is, what is
4: the story about? What is... uh...
3: Oh, I'll let Nathan take this one.
4: The story is kind of framed by... um, it, uh, it's framed by one of the characters i play um aiden who is a um car rental like he's a manager at the car rental kiosk at the dublin airport and he's kind of the he introduces it and then he pops in at various points and he closes the play as well um it's about a married uh a married couple where the wife has um has been tracing her family history and her genealogy so She's discovered some Irish ancestry. She wants to learn more about it, and specifically, like her, she realizes that her ancestors have emigrated. Um, sorry, uh, just like in the height at the height of the potato famine, right? Um, so, you can't do a show that involves Ireland without potato famines, I guess. <laughs> but um, learning about like the Canadian, what the experience was like, I think. Um, for people that were emigrating from Ireland to Canada at that time and also dealing with like um, I think it deals a little bit with her trying to come to terms with like does she have survivor's guilt or generational like how long does this stuff that happened to the people in Ireland you know pass down through generations or how much does it affect somebody who's never been to Ireland but has that ancestry and Mm -hmm. that you know, um, history in her own, in her family. Yeah. So, and that's what, um, that's one of the real things that happened with Rod. That Like he's, his wife had was doing that, right? Um, but, but a
3: lot of the play is about the relationship between the married couple. Yeah. Um, and just the things they get up to and, uh, why and how that all plays out for them. Um, so it's still very much a, a story about individual people, but it does ask these larger questions about, like, intergenerational trauma or survivor's guilt or, uh, emigration
4: and all this stuff. And like, and who's, yeah, who, when they, when they go, they interact with, um, a bunch of different Irish, you know, people in the, that you tend to meet Irish people when you're in Ireland. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so it's getting their perspectives on different things, whether it's on relationships or whatever. And some of it is, there, there are some quite funny moments, some tender moments. Um, so, you know, it's like a week-long, uh, basically like a week-long trip they take and the people they interact with. Mm-hmm. And then the tone is, there's some comedy involved
0: or is it more...
3: Definitely of... comedy. It's yeah. um, It's almost a dark comedy. It's more comedic than dark, but there's still a lot of like tongue-in-cheek sassiness
4: there's yeah <laughs> sassiness and just some 10 there were a few you know tender moments right mm-hmm. yeah but comedy and uh,
0: another question that has a lot of times we'll see titles that are metaphors but is in a car we rented a car from or in ireland we rented a car from criminals that's a
4: literal
3: that's literally what happened that's yeah, literally yeah. What it happens literally in happened time. to the playwright um yeah. so it's based on his experience and they not quite the same
4: It happened a slightly different way, but he found out that he had been ripped off on purpose, not by the rental company, but by the individual that, you know, rented the car uh, to him. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And how long have you been performing this show? You mentioned that you were in the midst of touring it across Canada.
3: Yeah, we were in Toronto for the Toronto Fringe. So we Mm. did seven performances there and we've had uh, a few here and uh, we'll wrap up over the weekend. Uh, but then we're going on to the Calgary Fringe, Edmonton Fringe, Victoria Fringe, and Vancouver Fringe. So six cities altogether.
4: Yeah, we're on the road for 77 days total. And it's been, what, two and a half-ish, close to three weeks so far. But And so you guys have already played a couple shows here. You've been
0: in Toronto, and I assume you've been to various festivals in, I guess, Saskatchewan or possibly other places as well. And how does the Kingston crowds how do the Kingston venues compare to some other ones that you've seen across Canada
4: we're in um St Andrew's church and when I just like walked up to the church we're in the lower hall there are two venues for the fringe in there the upper and the lower um and we're in the lower but when I just walked up I was like oh my god this is where we get to perform this is so cool um I like I think it's beautiful so, yeah, very
3: yeah. beautiful building. It's quite typical for Fringe Festivals to have at least one church venue, if not more. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they tend to have the this, this space and it's not uh, a very expensive rental, if anything at all. Um, and they've got the chairs and the infrastructure to support holding a bunch of people. So.
0: And it's generally set up to look towards the stage, Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Amazing. And so I've spoken with several touring artists that come through Kingston on this show already. And a lot of them touch on their nomadic lifestyle. So you guys said that you're touring for 70 plus days. Yeah. Do you guys experience, I mean, you're in the beginning legs of this tour, but have you experienced the same thing that it's more of a, you don't really feel settled? (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
3: we're both technically like homeless. Like I, I live with my parents, quote unquote. I'm not there for three months at a time, but that's technically where I live.
4: I... Um, I've been on the road so much, like, I, I still say I live in Saskatoon because I, I think Saskatoon is, is great. Um, but I was doing, I did a Christmas, like a, um, a show at Christmas time, just outside of Saskatoon in with Dancing Sky Theatre in Meacham. And it's a fun company, but like, since then, like January, I started a contract that had me on the road for three months. And then I was out of the country for a while, and then back in Saskatoon for two weeks. And now we're on the road to rehearse, you know, and, and, and see some family. And now we're on the road again. So I haven't actually, like, when I've been in Saskatoon, I was crashing on couches. I just gave up my, you know, my place and haven't paid rent since February, I think. So it's, that's the only way some of this is also... Feasible, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm even though like this tour is new, you know, like for me, it's, I've done children's theater tours, I've done a bunch of other, you know, like I've done shows in Saskatoon, but also been on the road a lot. So it feels like I'm three quarters of the way through the, yeah. you know, through the tour because it's been, oh, it's an almost year long process so far.
3: And when you're from a smaller center, You have to travel for work. There's no way to be a professional artist without going to other cities at least once a year. So it's, yeah, a lot of us have that feeling of living out of a suitcase all the time. Yeah.
0: And Lauren, you mentioned before that moving is one of the hardest things that you can do, and now (laughs) you're doing that professionally. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But at least I'm not moving in this true sense of having to relocate all of one's possessions to a new place. Um, I I travel with a backpack and a duffel bag.
0: Which is kind of liberating.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's a certain freedom to it, and there's an appeal to it. I would like to continue to be able to be an artist in multiple cities, Um, but then i can't afford to pay rent so I've got yeah. to reconcile those two desires
4: <laughs> i basically like i've got my suitcase and another bag um basically live out of live out of that and that uh well there is some stuff of mine that's still stored in my parents basement <laughs> you know uh, oh, yeah. in regina Same. but like it's been there for years i don't know what i'm going to do with it but i really had to like pare down you know every time something like this happens the only thing I can't I need to figure out how to take with me is my like piano keyboard. <laughs> that doesn't fit in the suitcase, but like everything else.
0: And then how much preparation goes into each show? Do you have a daily ritual like some professional athletes might?
3: Um it depends. Again, that's a very like variable question for every artist. I because I'm also the stage manager on this show, I have quite meticulous Things for the stage management side of it, like I have to make sure all the costumes are laid out in the right place, the set is placed properly, that the cues are ready to go, my technician, my front of house people are all on the same page all the time. But I don't do very much actor preparation, because partially I don't have time, and partially I don't think it would serve me for this show to prepare in a particular way, um, because a lot of the show is direct address, so I just have to be with whoever is in the room with me um but Nathan does have an actor ritual cuz he just gets to be an actor.
4: <laughs> yeah, I get to be an actor. First like if if it's if the show is late enough in the day, like any not just this show but any show, I like to like I like to move. I I get restless, so like I like to go to the gym, like go for a run or lift things or, you know, like throw a football or like whatever, you know, get more just get physically warmed up, but then I do Yeah, there's Particularly with this show, I talk a lot, so, and in different um, dialects, you know, a bit of over-the-top Canadian and then Dublin and, you know, whatever, and different characters. So it's like, okay, I want to warm up, like, uh, tongue twist. well, tongue twisters makes it sound rudimentary, but, like, breath support, vocal exercises, all that kind of stuff, so I don't just hurt myself, you know, and... Mm -hmm and run out of, well, just yeah, just damage anything. Um, but then also trying to get some of the, the dialect sounds, it's like, no, you, you kind of have to practice and warm up every day or, like, listen to somebody speaking Irish on, you know, yeah. YouTube where I've got, like, you know, dialect coaching on my phone, tapes and
3: stuff. And that's why Nathan gets compliments on his Irish accent all the time because he takes the time. To prepare before actually going on. Screen. I
4: try to, <laughs> but the thing with friends too, is that like you get in there and you can like obviously prepare at home or if you don't mind people shooting you glances on the street, you can start talking to yourself while, you know, while you're walking to, to the venue or whatever, but um, you're only in there for 15 minutes before the audience gets that in. So you have to like set up everything, you know, and change into your costume or whatever it is. And, put out the tables and chairs you need for whatever your set pieces are. And then 15 minutes, the audience starts coming in and you don't want to be making a whole bunch of sound or warming up when they can, you know, hear you. So. And so how
0: much preparation went to the show beforehand, learning those dialects and learning the scripts and...
3: We had kind of an insane rehearsal process in the sense that I was out of the country until... Um, I, yeah, I had a contract in Prague. So I was there until June... 18th so then we started rehearsals on june 19th and we left on july 2nd yeah so the entire preparation for the play (laughs) happened in those two weeks and it was very condensed and it's hard to do with a two-hander you get tired very quickly when you're in the rehearsal hall so you can't like going for an eight-hour day would be way too much you'd just be exhausted and at a certain point you can't retain anything anymore so it was a very intensive rehearsal process and i think the, like there's still things that I'm working on and trying to develop as we go through the run because we just didn't have time.
4: Yeah, I got the script. Um, I well, I got the script a bit sooner because I was yes. on board earlier. But um, I was visiting my uh, my partner in Scotland because she's going to school there. So I was I got the script and I'd been trying to convince Rod to put or Andrew either of them to put me in this play because I also wanted a show to work on over the summer. Um, I got this script while I was in Scotland and went and was like... At that time, it was basically a one-person show Mm -hmm. and went, oh, my God, I have to learn like an hour's worth of dialogue and I want to have it, uh, you know, as memorized as I can before we even start. But it was tricky because I was... Speaking with my my prairie, you know, the way I normally speak in, gla- surrounded by Glaswegians, trying to learn Irish, <laughs> so I like it was a little tricky. <laughs> yeah,
3: and during the rehearsal process, the script changed dramatically. A lot. Yeah. So a lot of things that were originally Nathan's lines were then attributed to me. Um, the stage manager character that I played basically fell out completely and was replaced by uh the mary character who's uh, part of the married couple so, so yeah it was a lot of changes and and the preparation was intensive because of that as well because every day we were like oh what's what's different what's new and how that, do we adapt to this
4: yeah that's part of the process of like creating a new work is just like okay now we have everybody in the room this part wasn't so good. <laughs> you know like and it's not an issue with the director or the actor. It's like just a script thing, you know. And then you go, okay, come, you know, and the next day it's fixed, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, and and as with everything, you know, you can write with the best intentions, but when you see it in front of you, it's a different thing. So Sometimes it's the playwright going, oh, actually, this doesn't convey what I wanted it to convey. And let's change that. Or it makes more sense maybe for someone else to say this or for us to put it later in the play or all those things. Because finally, when you see it on its feet, it just becomes a different beast.
4: Yeah.
0: And unfortunately, that is all the time that we do have for today. So we're going to start wrapping up. Yeah. For our listeners who are interested in seeing in Ireland, we rented a car from criminals. Where can they see you guys and when?
3: So we are at St. Andrew's Church in the Lower Hall, which is called Venue 3, as part of the Kingston Storefront Fringe Festival, presented by the Kick and Push Festival. Um, Our last shows, we've got one tonight, which is Wednesday, at 9.15pm, so it's a late show. Uh, We also have Friday, Saturday, Friday at 6pm, Saturday at 6.30pm, and our venue is being referred to as the coolest venue because it's literally a cooler temperature than all of the other ones so yeah. if it's really hot out and you think oh i need a break from all this heat come down hang out in the basement of saint andrew's church and we'll tell you a story
0: yeah and so then tickets are available at the alibi downtown or at storefront french festivals ticket tent
3: tickets are available online through uh the grand but they will cost you more money if you book them in advance. So if you come down to our venue, there is a tent sitting just outside the doors where you can uh, pay with cash or credit. I uh, believe tickets are $14.
0: They cost more money in advance?
3: Yes, because you have to pay uh, transaction fees for oh. online processing.
0: Yeah. Oh.
3: That's your tip for the day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. Thank it was you a for pleasure having, having us. Thanks for having us. And welcome back, that was Lauren Allen and Nathan Copens, and it was really awesome having both of those guys into the studio this past Monday to talk about their show, and I'm sure that it is an absolute blast, so if you want to check that out, don't hesitate to go down to St. Andrew's Church. You can check out that show. And if you weren't tuning in last week when I had my interview with Liam Carey, who's one of the organizers of the whole kick and push festival. It's actually impressive how much he was able to drop the prices of the tickets through various funding from government agencies to support the art scene in Kingston, because normally comparable tickets in Toronto might be as much as $80 versus here. It's pretty cheap. It's just a quarter of that So make sure to check that out if you're interested in that. And that is coming to an end of the time that we do have here today. One last thing that I would like to do is a quick wrap up of some stuff that might be happening over the next week or so. So I've already covered the Kick and Push Festival as well as the Storefront French Festival for those of you who are interested in theater. For those of you who are interested in cooking, there is the 21st annual Taste of Kingston And that is going to be happening at the Confederation Basin. And it is a well loved and anticipated tradition for both locals and tourists looking to discover the unique tastes of Kingston. It's also a fundraising event in support of Diabetes Canada. So for those of you who want to check out the 30-plus food lifestyle and sales vendors, go on down to Confederation Basin. And finally, in Market Square, every Saturday from July 6th until August 24th, so we've still got quite a few, there's going to be a chef cooking demo going on from 11 a.m. to noon. And this Saturday, there will be Chef Andrew Smith from Tango Nuevo showing everyone how to use local ingredients as well as preparing a certain meal that you guys might be able to prepare for yourselves as well. That is all the time that we do have for today. Thank you so much for tuning into Life of Kingston. I'm Michael Ashton Smith. Tune in next Wednesday at 10 o'clock for our last segment of Life of Kingston. We'll have one last interview with a Wolf Island artist. This time it will be local musician Piner from the Skeleton Park area. And until then, I'm going to have to say farewell and thank you for tuning in. Make sure to tune in next week. I'm going to hand you off to our next program right after these messages.
5: FEAT is a Toronto-based community organization that seeks to support families affected by the prison system. We offer weekly youth programming and provide rides to federal prisons every weekend for family visits. We drive from the GTA to the Kingston Prisons on Saturdays and to Workworth and Beaver Creek institutions on alternating Sundays. To book a ride, get more information, or find out how you can get involved, please call 416-505-5333 or write to us at F-E-A-T Feet 432 Horner Avenue Etobicoke, Ontario Mike 8 Whiskey 2 bravo 2 that's m8w2b2 or visit feetforchildren.org
1: hello i'm tamara cicerella a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addington in offering confidential, quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388.